0: Hi, this is Tammy Stronach, the Childlike Empress, and you're listening to The Great, Big, Beautiful Podcast.
1: Have
2: you
1: ever been to Disneyland? Affirmative. That was definitely an e-ticket. I can't believe all the new gadgets they've got now. For a while, we didn't even have a house phone, not to mention laser discs
2: hi def TV. You are listening to The Great Big Beautiful Podcast. This week on the show... Get home at 11 o'clock, you want to have a drink, you want to go to bed, you want to watch a show, you want to do anything else. And I would often just sit, revise something, or work on the next chapter, or, or just do something that was moving me forward. And it was, like I said, it's steady, focused effort. It's not... Uh, it's not one, one fit of inspiration. You write a book in two weeks and you're done. It's like, you know, over and over and over again, I made a choice to pursue this as opposed to anything else. Here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Justin Connors.
0: Right, this is The Great Big Beautiful Podcast. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at the GBB Podcast, as well as the GBB And I have to tell you guys something. Um, we have kept Jamie and I have kept this podcast pretty much ad free since the beginning. I think we've only ran like two spoken ads. I think we did it as a Yeah, and form. they
3: weren't even real I mean, I guess they were ads. It was somebody wanted to sponsor
0: right. um
3: a couple episodes. Yeah, I, those are ads of a sort, sure.
0: Well and, and that was via Geek Dad, so we didn't even really see anything. Like it wasn't like we were like selling out because we didn't even get anything out of yeah, that other than yeah. hosting for a podcast. But the point of that is We haven't given you guys ads, so maybe if you're a longtime listener, you could go and pay us back, not by money, but by writing a review on iTunes. Right now, go do it. Five stars, say all the guest hosts are awesome, Justin's hair is amazing, Jamie's hair is amazing.
3: They can't see (laughs) see that, though. They can hear it in your voice. It comes through as all the the self-confidence in your voice.
0: Yes, I'm telling them. Okay. And you know, you just go and write that review. If this is your first time listening, maybe you'll listen to a few episodes and then write the review. I don't want you to make a review without really knowing what's up. <laughs> yeah, that so so funny.
3: many podcasts, you know, they they beg you to go to their Patreon or their or their right. whatever to give them money. We're not asking you for money. We're asking you for five seconds. Go to iTunes exactly. and leave a review. That's all we need.
0: Just even a click of the five. You don't have to write anything. Just click the stars. <laughs>
3: Okay, 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 now we're just sounding desperate.
0: Yes, we are. We are very desperate. So hello Shiri.
1: Hi. I was gonna say do it for the guest hosts. <laughs>
3: do, do, yes. The guest do hosts yes. are awesome and they come with a price, but I only I pay that price because it's like back behind the scenes bickering over who gets to come in on what which guests. So
1: it's like if if it's a writer, it's probably gonna be me.
3: Probably. Yes. <laughs> the odds are definitely in, in, in that favor. Um, because nobody else reads, and we love them, but they don't read.
1: <laughs> Sad.
0: Oh, the book is on its way out. I'm just, I'm just joking, but you guys did interview another author this week. Why don't you tell us about it? Who was it? What happened? Was it fun? Did craziness ensue? Let us know. <laughs>
3: Uh, yes. So we talked to Charles Soule this week and um, Charles had a really interesting career because he's a lawyer um, and he practiced law for, what did he say, like 20 years. He had his own firm and he did immigration law, uh, but he always wrote on the side. Um, and he sort of broke into comics uh, because I guess that was the easiest way to do do things on the side and he made a few con- contacts and um, he ended up writing a few independent, um, like independently released comics, which led to other things and other getting known and eventually led him to DC and Marvel. Uh, and, and
1: made him a, a really good candidate to write a fantastic run of Daredevil.
3: Yeah. So he's at this point, like he's written some, some really Major arcs and major books. Like he's not just writing C-list characters. Like he, he's written Daredevil. He's written. Um, he's written. Is he on three different Star Wars books
1: now? He, two. two. He is. All right. No, I think he's writing Poe Dameron. Mm-hmm. Um, which is an excellent book in and of itself. I've enjoyed it. Um, but the arc they're doing right now is kind of going to end up being Leia's memorial arc. Yeah. And. He's doing a fantastic job. Um he, I remember. he put her in charge of a heist. So it's everything that, you know, she learned in the rebellion and from her ex-husband. Yeah. Um and he is also he took Vader over um from Karen Gillen, which was a tall order because Gillen has done fantastic work on the Star Wars books. Um and I, I was like, Oh no. Not not because Charles was taking over, but because Gillen wasn't writing it anymore. Um, and he's doing an arc with the Inquisitors, who showed up in Rebels, which is really fantastic, too.
3: Yeah. I, so. I remember at um, last year's New York Comic Con, I went to uh, the panel, the Star Wars authors panel. It was an off-site, separately ticketed event, and it, it was, ostensibly, it was for the... Um, Um, I'm blanking. What was the anthology, the 40-story anthology? From a certain uh, point of view. Yeah. So from a certain point of view, they had, I think, like, 15 of the authors were there. And they brought them in, like, in waves. So it was, like, five at a time. um, And they would just do, like, it was, like, an hour with all these... Uh, authors and they would just sort of talk about the books, the book and their individual stories in them and then they would just answer other questions and Charles was one of them and he had mentioned that he was um, because this was before the the Poe the Leia story in Poe started and he had mentioned how that came about and how he was really excited because um, you know how, the way things played out in real life with Carrie Fisher meant that they didn't necessarily want to show it on screen, but they knew they had to tell the story and it, it landed with him. And I wish we had gotten to ask because I don't really remember the full details we, we I wish we had asked him which spoiler we don't um, how it ended up with him in, in the pages of his book. Um, but you could tell as he was talking about it, like he sort of felt this weight of, of, of responsibility in telling that story.
1: My assumption is that it landed with him because the, the main Star Wars book is um, earlier chronologically. Yeah. Yeah. It's too early, um, and then this is the Poe Dameron book is the only book that's set at the right time chronologically yeah. to have that story.
3: Yeah.
1: Oh, real quick though. Yeah. Relating back to another author that we talked to and Star Wars. We found out what. Um,
3: you gonna talk about older Daniel. Older's yeah.
1: Star Wars book is gonna be. I know.
3: How crazy excited are you for it? So excited. I'm probably more excited for his book than I am for the movie.
1: Yeah, he's writing a <laughs> wow. Lando book.
3: He's yeah. He's no
0: writing. way.
1: Did he say this did he you know, say
0: this in the interview?
3: So no,
1: he couldn't tell us yet. We just found out what last week. Oh, okay. yeah. When
3: we talked to Daniel Jose Older, we knew that he was doing a Star Wars book, but he couldn't say anything more about it. And then within the last couple of weeks, they announced he's doing the, um, the the novel tie-in, not the novelization mm-hmm. of Solo, but uh, a tie-in, separate story about uh, Lando and, and Han that's, wow. that's set. I guess at the same. I don't know that we even know, but it's sort of set simultaneously or a little bit before the events of the movie that's coming out. Um, well,
1: so that's and cool. that episode, yeah. and now everyone go listen to that one.
3: Yeah, exactly.
0: Because <laughs>
3: he was
1: exactly.
0: fun. And you know, fans have been like, people have been talking about wanting to see Lando back on screen again. Oh
3: yeah, so everybody's. Let, I think more people are probably excited to see uh, see Lando back on screen than we are about seeing a young Han Solo. I right. Aware. Yeah, but before yeah, before agree. we go into the interview, yes, we, we, before
1: we get to, uh, <laughs>
3: we do need to talk about. So Charles Soule um, has a new novel out. This is his first published novel. So um, long form is very different from comic work or from any other type of writing, um, and so we talked to him a bit about that. That book is just coming out now. So if you're interested in it, it's called The Oracle Year. Um, Go check out, you know, check it out on Amazon or wherever you want to buy books. You can read the brief description. Um, But we do talk to him about a bit about that and how that came about. And this is a story that's been bouncing around in his brain for like a decade, right? He's been yeah. He's been thinking about this one for a while.
1: Yeah, and it's it's interesting because um, as a reader of his work, I'm very used to him writing. Superheroes, not necessarily cape and tight superheroes, although he's done some of that. I mean, Lay is a superhero. No one's going to argue with that. Poe is a superhero. Um, his work he's doing for Image right now is about um, these wizards who are just total dicks and very funny. <laughs> but they're, you know, these larger-than-life characters. And then he's written The Oracle Year, which is about somebody who has an extraordinary experience of receiving these prophecies from an unknown source, but he's just a dude. Um, and he doesn't particularly want to be extraordinary or super. Um, so it's a, it's an interesting contrast to other things that he's written. And, um, you know, it's it's not someone who's just jumping into adventure. It's kind of the story of how he proceeds with this very cautiously um, until it gets to a particular crux point which I don't want to spoil it but um, it's very different and it's it's very interesting to see him write a different sort of character yeah. So
0: let's All do right. it, let's get into it Alright, let's do it, so we're going to go play that interview for you right now, hope you enjoy
3: Charles, thank you so much for taking the time to talk, it is just a pleasure to have you here
2: well, thank you very much for for having me on to uh, to talk about this book that not many people have heard of yet. So I'm excited to get a chance to tell the world about.
3: It. Excellent. We will talk about the book. We're going to talk about some other stuff, but first, I have to ask: um, Is Google lying to me, or did you really get a degree in Asian studies focusing on Chinese language and history?
2: I, I did. Google is not lying to you. That was my undergraduate major. Yes.
3: Did you have? Did you did you go to China? Did you did you live there? I lived there for several years. That's why I'm curious.
2: Uh, where did you live and I I did where where were you in China
3: I lived uh, in Hunan province and then Uh after I met who is now my wife uh, we moved to Shanghai so I lived in both places Uh, (laughs) It is not as good I you see the problem with living in Shanghai I don't know where you lived and if you lived in a big city like Beijing or Shanghai is that when I lived in Hunan I um, I was like one of six foreigners in a city of like 6 million, sure. and so you had to learn the language just in order to get by, and so I, I knew a lot, and I could carry on conversations daily, and then we moved to Shanghai, and it's like everybody spoke English, and everybody wanted to talk to me in English, and I forgot almost everything. Um, but living here, I mean, my wife is Chinese, my mother-in-law lives here now, and she doesn't speak any English, so it's coming back, but I don't like to actually
2: put it on display. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I mean, I, I, we lived in Hong Kong, um, which is which is an entirely different, you know, you know, it's Cantonese, Absolutely. right? It's a an dialect, um, and and I didn't, I didn't speak and don't speak very much Cantonese, but I started studying Mandarin while I was in high school over there, yeah. And then I kept studying it during uh, undergraduate at Penn, uh, and then you know I, I did it all for, so I probably have had I don't know five or six years of, of pretty focused Chinese study, yeah. But then you know it's really about speaking it in a living way, and in Hong Kong you don't you don't. Know, speak Chinese you don't speak Mandarin that much and you certainly don't speak Mandarin that much in Philadelphia unless you're really seeking it out yeah so um, but what I have found is that when I go back like I was back in Shanghai and Beijing last November which was fantastic and I uh, it it came back really really quickly like it just sort of using it being immersed in the environment like it was the grammar and the structures were fast the the vocabulary took a little bit longer to, to show up but yeah um, I bet if you went back, you'd be amazed. Like, in a week, you'd be chattering away again. Well, we were... Fine.
1: We... I've studied four languages, and you guys hit one that I don't know.
3: <laughs> <laughs> we we actually were just there last summer. We took the kids back, and uh, we were there for six weeks. And, um, you know, we spent a lot of time with my in-laws, and it, it does. It comes back a lot. But my my issue is that um, I never really feel comfortable with my pronunciation, even though everybody there is very polite and tells me that I speak wonderfully. Um, sure. yeah, For but sure. it ex- Exactly. Um, but it's uh I'm one of those people who can understand almost everything that's happening around me, what everybody's saying, but I just
2: respond in English. <laughs> I'm terrible. Yeah, I, I know I know exactly what you're saying. It can be and Shiri, I'm sure if you speak four languages you probably or maybe you don't have this hang up, but it's like you know, you it's like you you're playing an instrument and you kinda know you're not playing it that well. Yeah. But you're you're very much performing almost. You're on display because you're you're trying to speak this language. But um I don't know. I, I love foreign languages. It's something that I've, I've always really been interested in. I, I put language stuff in a lot of the things that I write. And uh, I just I just think it's fascinating to, to get yeah. to the point. Where, even I mean, I wouldn't. The other language I have is French, and I wouldn't say that I'm like crazy fluent in, in, in that either. Uh, and at my best in Chinese, I was I was decent, but not, you know, not Writing treatises or anything like that. Right. So it's it's just something that I I, I like the idea that your brain fits into these new patterns and, and is able to say these things. Um, just, yeah. it's just, I, don't know, I love language and I, yeah. I wish that I had more time to practice it and go to these places. Been I been
3: wish there. that I were better at it. I mean, Hong Kong, yeah. I, it's my favorite city in the world. Me too. Um, Me too. I, I love it. I, I just wish it were a little bit cheaper. <laughs> Yes. Yes, it is expensive. We, we 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 were just there last summer. We took the kids all around China. We traveled all over with them, and uh, we
2: went to Hong Kong. And it was like this rude awakening. We're like, oh my god, it's so expensive. It really <laughs> Even, is. It's like it's like any world capital, like London yeah. or Tokyo or New York City, for that matter. Like exactly. It's, it costs a ton, but it is. I mean, in Hong Kong, at least, I think you sort of get what you pay for. Like those, the way that city is, and, and what you see, and all the things you can do, and yeah, I just love that energy very much
3: yeah that's amazing I love it I love it I didn't know that about you until just last night when I was doing some last minute reading reading up on you so I was like
2: we have to talk about this yeah. <laughs> all right
1: super quick when were you at Penn
2: I was class of 96 so so okay. four years before that
1: all right you're a little older than my sister I was trying to figure out if you're there at the same time as her
2: <laughs> well no <laughs>
1: <laughs> apparently not
3: <laughs> so I wanted to ask about that because you're your creative path is is a bit unusual. I mean, how does somebody go from Penn to Columbia Law, to starting his own law firm to writing for Marvel?
2: Well, it was it's always been something I've wanted to do like forever. Uh, I was a big music guy for years and years and years uh, since i was since I was really young, like s- stupidly young, honestly. Yeah. my my mom had me playing violin when I was um, when I was three. Uh, and then, and then that transitioned to guitar when I was in high school. and And while I was in college, I had a lot of different bands, a lot of different things, and I sort of assumed that that's what I would probably be doing. Um, and then in the year after college, so I had one year where I basically was working in New York and Philly as a paralegal, just to kind of make ends meet while I was doing a lot of music stuff. And the I ended up at Columbia. It, I mean, there's a lot of reasons like I when i, I I've been telling the story a little bit. Recently, because it, it relates to the Oracle year and why I wrote it and why I chose this as the topic for the novel, mm-hmm. but 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 basically, you know, sometimes life has these currents and you 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 go with them, thinking that oh well, this will just be something that I'll do for now, or or how is how is this an opportunity I could turn down, which is Columbia Law School, or sure, um, you know, why why wouldn't I I I do this uh, for for various reasons, and for me there are family reasons at the time, there there were just sort of a lot of things that. That made it make sense for me to go to go to law school. Not least of which is that Columbia is one of, it's an incredible <laughs> opportunity. It's right. one of the greatest law schools in the country. And the idea of saying no to it, uh, I was not in a place where I was going to do that at that time. So, so I went to law school. But then when you go to law school, you have these, you know, enormous loans, and you have expectations that you practice law as a lawyer, and 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 so on and so forth. And so I, I, I got a job, and and I took the bar, and. You know, but but almost immediately after taking the bar exam, I knew that I I was on a path. I was starting down a path that I didn't necessarily want to be on forever. And I, the the when you take the bar exam, it's it's this big test that you spent three months studying for. Um, you you do it in a couple of days, and then you can't even think. You're just completely yeah. run out. And and so a lot of people will take a trip after that. They'll go to the beach for a week and just not think about anything. And so I did that. Uh, I I went away for a little while, and then. On that trip, I went into a like a stationery store and bought a longhand notebook and started writing uh, my, my first novel longhand on that trip because I knew immediately that it wasn't that I needed to find a way to get back to what I really wanted to be doing, which was uh, creative life. Right. Um, and I, I knew that music was going to be really hard to do while practicing law, um, especially in the early years, like when you're working as a young associate at a law firm, you work 60 to 80 hour weeks routinely like right. that's that's your life. And so getting out to play a show or practice with the band was going to be really hard, but I could write around the edges. And so I started to do that, wrote that first novel, um, got an agent, actually made it made it kind of far down the road for a guy who didn't know anything and, and, and so on. But then it, um, it, it didn't end up getting acquired. And so I started writing a second book. And, and then in the meantime, started thinking about other paths that didn't have this like two to three year writing the book, waiting to see if it's going to go, like all of that time and effort, and you don't know if it's going to turn into anything. Uh, so, but comics have a much faster road to, I guess, yeah. I don't want to say success, but like knowing whether or not the project's going to go. Yeah. So, because you can put together a pitch and like five pages of art and submit it to publishers and then they'll tell you. Uh, and that's not, it's, it's not easy, but it's not like writing a novel for three years. Sure. And so... I started doing that, and it that also took a long time. I mean, I I think I started really seriously looking into what it would mean to be a comics person around 2004 2005, and then I didn't get have I didn't have my first book published until 2009, uh, which was with a wonderful but very tiny publisher called Slave Labor Graphics SLG, um, and the book was Strongman. And then from there, comics is a lot like being in an or indie comics is a lot like being in an indie band. And you you get out your first single, and you're very happy to have it out, and 300 people get it if you're lucky, you sell it, <laughs> it and then, but if you're really lucky, it's A, it's it's good, and B, one of those 300 people is is one of the right 300 people who's able to say, oh man, I got this tape at this show, yeah. it's really cool, and then that gets you the opportunity maybe to put out a four song EP with like a really tiny, super independent boutique label. You do that, and then maybe that gives you the opportunity to sign with a bigger, a bigger outfit and put out an LP. And that is what comics is like. You put out these tiny books that build up into hopefully bigger books. And once you have enough of of, of a body of work on your own, your own name, your own characters, and so on, then maybe uh, Marvel or DC comes calling and and says, "Hey, would you like to to work on some of our huge characters?" Yeah. Uh, which was my trajectory. It's not always the trajectory that people choose or, or want to get into Marvel or DC. You don't have to write for Marvel or DC to be a very successful and prominent comics writer at all. But, but a lot of people do because it gives you this massive profile boost. And it certainly did for me. Um, and so, you know, I mean that's basically that's basically how it worked. During all that time, I was I was working as an attorney. I, I left the big firm, started my own practice, which focused mostly on immigration, did that for, for years and years and years, you know, more than ten years. Uh, and then, and then finally closed that office in, in 2015, continued working like a bit to spin out the existing clients I had for, for the next couple of years. And and now I'm almost completely done. I have a a very few cases that just need to be, need to be wrapped up. Um, but they kind of run on their own timeline. And once those are done, I will be a retired attorney. Wow. So, I mean, did you ever think,
3: I mean, when you were going to law school, you know, people go to law school, they, they that that's what their life is going to be. And they take on this massive debt in order to do it. Yep. And, you know, and then they, they dig themselves into this hole that they never think they're going to get out of. Um, and now, you know, 10, 15 years later, you're completely out of it and doing something creative. I mean, is that is that the dream, do you think, for a lot of people who who end up going to law school or
2: is that is, is that yep. something that just happens to be a select few? No, I can say pretty categorically that I you know, I do a lot of comic conventions where I'm meeting many, many, many people and and even just through things like Twitter, social media, uh, emails, whatever you I hear from a lot of attorneys saying, how did you do it? How yeah. did you get out? Um, and, you know, the law, I don't have anything against the laws as, as a field. Honestly, if, if once I found my own path where I was running my own firm, I had my own people, um, I had my own client base. And, I, and I, in particular, I was doing immigration, which is a field that lets you sort of help and influence people's lives very directly in yeah. a way that, say, like doing mergers work or, or, you know, litigation doesn't in the same way. Like it, it's it's very you know, I was helping people get married. I was helping people come to the U.S. To, to work in their field. I was you know, it was things like that. It was very it could be very personally satisfying. So so if that had been the next 30, 40 years of my career, I would have been, you know, it would have it wouldn't have been a bad life. And I I think that there are ways to to do great things in law. But I also think that it's a field that doesn't really it's it's not a creative field in the same way that writing is. And I think that there's a lot of very smart people who become lawyers, a lot of people with um, you know, a lot of a lot of creative talent who who don't end up getting to use it because the law can be very all-consuming. And but as you said, you're in this hole you have these loans you have all these things going on and it can be hard to find a, find a path out yeah. And so I, a lot of people are hoping man I could just I'm a, I'm a lawyer I'm a good writer if I if I write this great novel I could be out I could be out quickly and um, that is not really how it happened with me I mean it really you know it took it took 10 to 15 years I mean I started I started practicing law in two thousand and and I still have a couple clients right now it's eighteen years later yeah. so it's it takes forever i mean i i i did it i i managed to pull it off but it's not easy i mostly tell people it's about focused effort over a really long period of time it's about like carving a marble sculpture and the marble sculpture is the rest of your life um but it's not it's not like oh i'll snap my fingers and write a bestseller i mean that that can happen there's lottery you know people win the lottery too so you know it can happen but generally speaking i don't think that's that's the way it goes yeah
3: i mean aside from finding success and you know however you define that and whether you end up whether that's DC or Marvel or writing a best-selling novel um you know when you you said when you start off being a lawyer you know, you're working like 60 80 hours a week and you don't have much time for anything else so, I mean for you how difficult was it to juggle those two worlds you know I mean you had law dominating everything and then you were just writing around the edges like how how hard was it to find time to make that time and to preserve
2: that time in order to be creative? Well, it was it was it was very very hard. I don't want to like, you know, dissemble about it. It was just it was it was extremely challenging. It was, you know, I would come home and I would I would find. It, I mean, one thing that helped a little bit is that I wrote I wrote a lot and continue to write a ton in longhand. Which means as as a person who lives in New York, there's a lot of time that I can, I you know, when they're if you're on the subway, if you just have half an hour for a coffee, coffee shop or or sit here in a bar. Like there's ways you can squeeze in time around the edges. And I've I've always been pretty good at that, but a lot of it really was know, You get home at 11 o'clock and you want to do anything else. You want to, you want to have a drink. You want to go to bed. You want to watch a show. You want to do anything else. And I would often just sit and, and, you know, revise something or work on the next chapter or, or just do something that was moving me forward. Uh, And, and it was, like I said, it's steady focused effort. It's not, um, it's not one, one fit of inspiration. You write a book in two weeks and you're done. It's like, you know, over and over and over again, I made a choice to pursue this as opposed to anything else. And the, the, the sad thing is I like, I mean, I think there's no real guarantee that that will work. And so you have to, you have to decide that you're going to do it and continue to do it even in the face of, of endless signals that maybe you should stop. And that is the, that's the the reality of, of pursuing any creative career, no matter whether you're working as an attorney or not. At the, In the early stages, when nobody knows who you are, nobody cares about you. There are, there are all of these reasons where you're like, oh, this is too hard, I'm not gonna do this anymore. But if you do that, then you will never get there. And it's it sort of has to be this focused, really long-term uh, refusal to accept the idea that it's not gonna happen and, and refusal to even think about the odds. To, yeah. Know, it's sort of a solo move, right? You just you just can't think about the ads, and and then you go and and the other side of it though, and I think this is the other key. Like it's focus, sustained effort, but you also have to get a lot of joy from just the process, just from climbing the ladder. From you know, as as many small signals as there are to stop, you also get small signals to keep going. Like you'll you write a chapter that you think is awesome. You will um, meet someone in comics who was encouraging, which happened to me with a number of. You know, there's, there's a lot of that stuff. I, one of the earliest things that was extremely encouraging to me, uh, was I was, it was when I was in law school and this is, this is a relationship that's maintained to this very day and continues on through the Oracle year. Um, Brad, Brad Melter, who's, a who was, I think just, just last week or the week before is a New York times, number one best-selling author for his, new, his new thrill of the escape artist Yep, um, came to, came to Columbia because he was also a Columbia law grad. And so he came to my, um, a copyright class, I think, either copyright or trademarks, and he he spoke for about an hour. You know, he spoke during the class for about an hour about his path and how he'd gotten there and how he how he used his Columbia education in his work, and uh, and I found it incredibly inspiring because he had done what I wanted to do, and or what I what I was starting to understand that I wanted to do, and and so when I was getting into all of this, when I was trying to write that first novel in those first years, um, I. I, I sent some of it to him. I sent him the first three chapters and I reached out to him and said, you were in this room and it meant a lot to me. And, you know, I don't know if you, I don't know if you'll take a look at this. I don't know if you'll give me any advice, but he did. He, we got on the phone and this was after he'd already had a number of pretty substantial successes. So yeah. he was, he was a very busy guy and he, he took time. He talked to me. He offered me, he put me in touch with his agent. Um, just, just huge, huge outreach that I know he does for a lot of people. He's one of the, like literally one of the best, he really is. I've ever met in this business, and and he, you know, he did a pull quote for the Oracle Year. We got on the phone when it was when it was, when I got the deal, and and he gave me a lot of advice about okay, now that you have a book deal, you know, your work is not done. It's never done. No, here's how you maybe turn it into something as opposed to just having a deal for a book. Here's how you turn it into a book that people will read, and you know, he's just he's just great. And so those those things will happen to anyone who's trying to do this. Um, they may not be that particular thing, but there will be signals that you will get early that will, that will tell you maybe to keep going or, or maybe they'll tell you just to stop and, and there'll be a, a balance that you'll, you'll have to look at and, and make your own decisions. But but that's how it went for me. Yeah.
3: No, Brad, I, I completely understand and agree about Brad. I had him on the show last year and he's just one of the nicest guys I've ever talked to. I mean, you could, yep. you could hear it in his voice that he would just, he'd do anything for anybody, you know? Yep. Yeah. Amazing. Um, But, you know, what you're talking about is you hear that a lot. You know, you have to have the passion. You got to push through the rejections and the, you know, the bad days and the days where you don't want to do anything. But, you know, the flip side of that is there's got to be a time when you realize or somebody would realize whatever you're trying to do that maybe this isn't going to work. You know, I mean, I'm not to be a downer, but is there is there a point at which you would recommend be like, maybe you should try something else?
2: Um, that's a, that's a tough question because I think that, that craft and relationships and, uh, and your network and your understanding of the way the network works, um, business works it's, it's, you know, it's an, it's something that aggregates over time. You, you, you know, more, if you keep at it, you know, more three months in than you did on day one and you're better on, on three months in than you were on day one. So, so if you work for five years and nothing happens. It doesn't mean it won't happen in in 10 years and you know for me the day i started writing that book uh was was essentially august 2020 2000 sorry august 2000 and i didn't have my first actual published work until march 2009 so and and there were a lot of like it it was always fun like you're going to conventions you're meeting people you're, you're 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 getting these these signals but it was also like when when the Oracle, sorry, not Oracle year. When when the other book, the Land of Ten Thousand Things, went out, uh, it was it was over a summer in uh, I don't know the early two thousands, and and it went out to editors, and I was it was it could have been a truly life changing thing for me at that point because it was early enough that in 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 my legal career that I I could have I probably would have just stopped practicing law altogether if that book had sold for for a substantial amount. Um, But it it didn't, it didn't get picked up. And so that was a massive, massive blow because I've been working on it for three years and I had all these like, it was this close to being able to, to my life being changed in exactly what I wanted it to be. Like that summer, it could have all changed forever and it didn't. And so I had to decide, oh man, this is a massive blow. What what am I gonna do? And I I decided to keep going um, because I thought, you know if, if I'd managed to get a book, a novel that went out to editors on, on sort of, I don't want to call it my first try, but, you know, I'm yeah. relatively yeah. in the process that maybe I should keep going. And my agent was encouraging and he's like, and so we were working on that second book. <clears throat> and, and so it was, it was hard. I mean, I would say, you know, there's going to be a point where you need to just sort of be realistic about, about the way the world seems to, to, to look at your work and, and the various gatekeepers that you you've managed to get access to and the way that they react to you and, and what you're doing, and then and then you make a decision, and you say, I don't, I don't care if it's ever going to be commercial. I don't care if it's ever going to make me a million dollars. I just want to make this work. Uh, I want to create these things and put them into the world, and that can be satisfying in and of itself. Um, but at the same time, if you're if if you're making decisions based on I'm going to be Stephen King or I'm going to be, you know, Annie Proulx or like you name you name the massive best-selling writer or Steven Spielberg, whatever, whatever yeah. your field is, yeah. you No, know, I'm going to be uh, Adele. Um, the, you know, maybe there's a point where you say, well, that's not, that's not how I'm going to make my living. I'm going to create this work. I'm going to do my very best to put it into the world and maybe the world will eventually come around to it or maybe they won't. But, but for me, the satisfaction is going to come from the act of creation yeah. and and that's very, very valid. So I don't think it's a, I think it's about understanding over a long period of time maybe where you are, where you're going to be, what you need from your art, what the world seems to want from your art, and, and figuring out where you fit in the big, massive ecosystem of creative endeavors. Uh, so I, I don't have a, there's no cut and dry thing. It's it's about, like, there is no one moment when you should stop, I don't think. It's really just about uh, an increasing Increasingly sophisticated understanding of where you fit into that ecosystem and and the decisions you want to make based on that understanding. Yeah.
1: Was there was there a point with the Oracle Year where you
2: were like, oh yeah, this is the one where you felt that? Uh, I mean the the origin story of the Oracle Year was that I was working on it when I was when I was I started working or started thinking about it really when I was still practicing law and I I'd, I'd been working really hard on the. It wasn't that long after the whole the the sort of the first novel didn't work. And I was like, man, you know, this is this is a moment where I would just give a lot to be able to just ask an oracle or ask somebody who knew the future, get a glimpse at the future to see if this was ever going to work out for me. And and I I thought, you know, I bet a lot of people have questions like that. And it might not be is my book going to sell, but it's probably things like, you know, am I ever going to see that that? handsome man again i saw on the subway this morning am i ever you know is is um is you know my mom gonna get better uh you know what is what is my who's my child gonna marry who am i gonna marry like you know all these we all have i think things it would be interesting to know about our futures and and so i thought the idea of somebody appearing in the world who could answer those questions would be very intriguing um and as far as when i knew the oracle year would work uh, it wasn't until because you you just never know how your stuff's going to be received and and I think the moment I knew it was going to work honestly was when um, it was really late in the process when I when I gave it to my my agent and my my Hollywood agent person um, or the wonderful Seth Fisherman and Angela Chan Kaplan and they both read a, a draft that is pretty similar to what you guys have what what's going out into the world um, and then they both kind of called me back immediately and were like, wow, this is really, I think this is really something. And so it was, it was awesome because you never, these are people who who know what, what, com, not necessarily what good feels like. I mean, they do, they certainly do, but it's also, they know what commercial feels like and they know what the market might be looking for these days. And so that was really when I was like, oh wow, maybe I, maybe I did something. Maybe I managed to achieve something here that I've been <laughs>
1: Something about it that seems a little bit of a departure from the comics that, or the comics that I've read that you've written, sure. um, you know, your your comics are tend to be about these sort of larger-than-life characters. You know, Poe Dameron, you're essentially writing, you know, Leia's memorial arc right now. Yeah. Um, but in Oracle Year, you have an extraordinary human who isn't particularly super- right so what prompted you to make that distinction
2: uh i thought that it was well first it's really a relatability thing right so if you have an ordinary person who is thrust into this extraordinary situation uh and they have to figure out how to deal with it it makes it a a story that we all could could relate to and understand you know like what how would we handle it if we were given these predictions how would we handle it if an oracle appeared in the world and we had an opportunity to ask him or her a question how, how would how would that affect us? How would that affect the world? How would religions and politicians and pop culture figures? and how would how would all of these things react? And I think we've all sort of seen, you know, especially in the way the pop cultural landscape works. now, we've seen a lot of superheroes, and we haven't seen quite as many uh, ordinary people thrust into these bizarre, but hopefully intriguing situations. So that was really why I wanted Will Dando and all the characters to feel very, kind of down to earth to a degree I mean there, there's still some pretty outlandish folks in this book but they I think they feel like versions of people that that we might know in our lives uh, maybe not the coach but but most of the others are people that that we have met or or know or have heard of or could relate to and and that's how I wanted the book to feel like something that that could happen tomorrow do you have a different um... I don't know, I guess, process, like when you
3: sit down to write and you're writing these characters that have been around for decades that people, the readers feel like they really know. So if we're talking about like Daredevil or, or, or Princess Leia or something like that versus your own characters that you're just spinning out of nothing and you're they're coming out of your head and you're, you're just breathing life into them. Like, is there a different approach you take to writing those kinds of characters?
2: Yeah, you know, if you're writing writing a huge pop cultural character, and I, I would even say there's something like Star Wars is not the same as say Daredevil, because mm-hmm. um, Daredevil or Wolverine or, or any of these massive um, massive Marvel characters have have a sort of an innate flexibility to them uh, because they've been they've existed for 75 years in in some cases, and they've been written so many different ways by different writers and drawn in so many different ways by different artists to reflect the time that they're in that readers generally speaking have have some flexibility to the way that they're they're portrayed like it's like oh I'd, I'd i'd be interested to see how this writer approaches this character or this artist approaches this character and that's it's fun to see the reinventions and so on um star wars is a little different because like darth vader needs to be darth vader and poe dameron and leia and c-3po like they all need to be how they are in the films most usually the films because that's that's always been the, the sort of the touchstone for what what star wars is Uh, So they need to be those characterizations can characterizations cannot be particularly flexible. However, you can expand what we know and 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 put moments from the films in in a new light or a new context based on how you how you depict additional things happening in the in the comics or the novels or whatever other stuff you're doing. So. So those are all they all have like different rules and different. You know, you have to understand different things. And again, to keep, I, I always go back to music metaphors because I've been a music guy for so long. But I think, you know, playing uh, or, or writing writing Star Wars is is kind of like almost like writing classical music because you're writing it within a very, you know, or in the style of certain composers. You're writing a very, a very. I don't. It's not rigid exactly, but it's very. It's within a certain realm. You know, it's within a certain uh, set of motifs and ideas and themes. Um, you know, Marvel is more like can be more rock and roll, right? Uh, because because there's there's more you know rock and roll sort of needs to sound like rock and roll, but there's a lot of different ways to play rock and roll, and a lot of different ways you could take your solos or whatever you're gonna do. And then and then you have Create Around, which is the the jazz you know which is which is when you can literally do whatever you want and create whatever impression you want to and and do your best to make something that is very personal and very you and and there aren't there aren't really any rules in terms of what it's what it's supposed to be and and but I love playing all three and writing all three of those types of music and I think they all are rewarding they just are different types of you know you, you use different muscles to play each one
1: so how that being said then you know you have you've created some vastly different character, or uh, excuse me author own characters because on one hand you have Will from Oracle year right. and on the other hand you have Wizard and Ruby <laughs> in yeah. Curse words so how how do those come from the same brain
2: uh, that is that's a good question i you know, <laughs> and then, and then you've also the other big creator on the series i did is called Letter 44 which which is about Essentially, about a U.S. president and a and a, a bunch of astronauts off on this kind of one-way space mission to the asteroid belt, and and it's very grounded and very realistic and kind of like hard sci-fi almost. And so, they're all pretty. They're all. I wrote them all. Um, I don't know. I just I just have very. It's it's what, what I find interesting at the time. Like I love I love presidents. I've always found them fascinating, even today. Um, and I i love space like real real space missions nasa stuff and so that was letter 44 and and uh, curse words is a book about a kind of a a, a, it's a wizard who it's kind of a family of wizards who pops up in new york city uh one day when there are no other wizards and just these these wizards show up and start kind of causing havoc and and doing what they feel they're all they're all very selfish and kind of want to do what they want to do um they pretend they're not selfish and and they kind of get treated like rock stars, but they're actually horrible, horrible people. And it's very funny and it's, it's kind of surreal in some ways. Uh, but, but still a little grounded for a story about wizards. Um, and I mostly wanted to tell that story because I, I love working with Ryan Brown, who is the artist of that book and my, my partner on it. And he's just, it's, it's a funny book. It's a book where we both get to exercise our sense of humor, which is, which is very similar, but also different enough that he makes jokes that I never would have seen and vice versa, I think. So so it was mostly just about writing a book where we could make anything we wanted to real and a book about magic allows us to do that. And then The Oracle Year is a book that explores my my constant obsession with the future and whether or not the things that I wanna have happen are gonna actually happen. So it's mostly just about you find that central idea, that personal thing that you care about and and then you write about it. And And for me, fortunately, I seem to have a number of things that I'm passionate enough about to sustain the interest and, and, and the detail work and all, all of the other things you need to do to write a long-term book or series.
3: You had to have been writing all of those things at the same time, though. I know, you know, when you write multiple book comic books, you know, they all have different competing deadlines. So, And you're writing the marathon and the marathon. When you're writing a novel, um, it, uh, you know, it takes a long time to get done. So you're, you're probably writing it in in between all those other deadlines like how but how much brain training did it take to be able to shift between the rock and roll and the classical and the jazz you know because it, like you're saying it is a different headspace for whatever it is that you're writing
2: right it, it, it is it can be challenging I, I generally try to work on one one thing per day if I can do it um, which which I sort of can I mean yesterday was a day where I had to do like the morning was was all Heavy, heavy Star Wars, and then I, I actually had a bunch of meetings at Marvel and then the evening was X Men stuff. Yeah. And so that there was enough of a separation between those two those two chunks of, of writing time that I was able to do it. But usually what I'll do is I'll, you know, like today is for curse words after after I get through these interviews. Um, <laughs> and, and so I'll but I, I spent some time over the weekend breaking the story for the next issue I'm gonna write. So I have I have an outline in my notebook, my curse words notebook that I'm just going to go look back at and think about and sort of get myself in the, in the brain place. That's not very good. I hope I write better this afternoon. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm doing a, a little, little dance because I'm very excited. I love,
2: I love curse words. <laughs> Thank you very much. I, it is, it is, as honestly, like it's my, just sitting down to write it is so much fun. It's, I, they're all fun. I love writing Wolverine or whatever too, but, but man, writing a curse words issue is just a blast. And this is, this is the end of the current arc. So it's the finale. So all these awesome things get to happen in it. All these story threads get to you know move to the next place. Um, so it's always it's always fun to write those endings. Uh, I, I
1: very rarely laugh out loud when I'm reading, but <laughs> every issue. <laughs> <laughs> my, my son's like, mommy, what's so funny? I'm like, you're eight. You're not allowed to know yet. Sorry. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you very much. I'm glad. Um, but uh, but I I have I have a moleskin notebook for every series or every project I work on. Um, each one has, has my notes and story ideas from, from the very beginning. For longer ones, I have, you know, multiple ones, like for Daredevil, because I've been on it for so long, I have, I now have two, uh, almost full, I mean, one is full, the second one's almost full, Red Moleskine notebooks, read for Daredevil, right? Of course. Um, so I have, I have every single issue and idea I've ever had for Daredevil, at least the initial versions of them is, is in those notebooks. So if I want to get in the mindset, I just flip through and think, oh yeah, this is what I did in issue 22. And and it and it helps but i i'm just i i I was actually one of the marvel editors i was meeting with yesterday we were talking about my workload and it's it's five ongoing marvel series plus curse words plus uh plus the second novel the the, which you know is something we haven't even talked about uh but i'm working on a follow-up it's not a sequel to oracle year but it's what would hopefully be my next thing and so i'm doing all of that at the same time plus doing pr for oracle year and and you know i'm I'm married and have an 11 year old daughter who's wonderful and so family stuff and trying to do do fun things around the edges so yeah. it's 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 really really busy it's always really busy but it's also kind of how i want things to be and i I if i didn't want it to be this way i would make different choices but when you spend as long trying to get here as i did uh, i just kind of want to i just kind of want to wallow in it you know? yeah
3: do you find that you're more productive when you're that busy and that pulls in because some people work better under all that stress, and when you're get pulled in a thousand different directions,
2: um, I think there's a difference between productivity and 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 good work. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not the same thing. Uh, there's there's a sweet spot for me where where I'm writing about one comic script per week, and then I I'm writing other things on the side, doing revisions, thinking about stuff, breaking stories, whatever. That's that's kind of where I like to be. Uh, maybe maybe one and one and a quarter scripts per week, so that I end up with with about five five or so per per month. Yeah. So I'm I'm above that right now, um, and I I can tell like you can feel like the engine's getting a little stressed. It's running at a high RPM level. Um, I can do that for a while, but there's going to be a point where I, I hope it I hope it rolls back a little bit. And I think it will. Like I'm I'm rolling off a couple series, and and different things are going on that that'll let it calm down a little. But
3: yeah, I mean. We've been talking about your comics and how many you're writing right now. And, you know, they're rel- compared to a novel, they're relatively few pages. Um, not to say that they're easy, but there's just le- fewer words involved in them. So, how much, when, when you started um, pitching the idea of Oracle Year, how much convincing, either to yourself or to your agent or publisher or whomever, how much convincing did it take that, that you could actually do this? I, I
2: wouldn't say a, a ton um, which, which I think is, is, is maybe just me being wrong. Maybe I'm wrong about, about how much I, how much, what they were thinking, but I'm I'm not in their, I'm not in their head. So it's hard to say. And they're always very encouraging and, and, and great about, you know, new projects, because honestly, if I have a project that I think I can pull off, uh, then it's good for them, right? Because it gives them something that they can, they can hopefully sell and, and make commissions on and so on and so forth. So, So it's I think it's rare in that field in general, what manager agents, et cetera, to be like, well, don't do that. That sounds really stupid unless unless it's really kind of egregious. But if if they have a client who's excited about something and thinks they can do it, then it's like, well, all right, give it a shot. We'll see. Um, And the other thing that's kind of like I didn't I didn't go in whole hog on this on the Oracle year uh, until I had some sort of some sense that it was good. Right. So you 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 give them the first three chapters or you give mm-hmm. them 10 chapters or whatever. You give them a, a synopsis so that they have a sense of what the project is and you get some like, oh yeah, that sounds like it could be really interesting. Go for it. Um, or or you do that with your other writer friends or you do that with your family or whatever, whatever it is. But um, I also think at this point I have like, I mean, I've been writing a, a, a lot. Uh, so I have a story sense that is pretty, pretty f- I don't, you know, pretty highly developed, I guess. It's like, sure. again, it's like playing an instrument or like when we started the conversation about languages, like I can I can recognize a story that I think will work that has the elements it needs uh, at, at a glance almost. And so Oracle Year felt like it had what it would need. And and um, I think having that sense, like knowing whether or not it's going to be, whether or not a story is going to be worth spending time on is is something that professional writers need to develop really early because otherwise they just waste time on, stuff that isn't going to work and isn't going to be satisfying. And you, you, you often know it about, if you don't know it from the beginning, you find out about halfway to two thirds of the way through that this isn't going to work. And, and then at that point you're like, well, I kind of either I finish it knowing that it's subpar or you scrap it and start over neither of which is ideal. And so it's a lot better if you can figure out, you know, from the synopsis or from the outline or just from the notes phase, if it's, if it's an idea worth pursuing, uh, and I think the really the people who have to have to create story on a really accelerated level where the quality level has to maintain. And I'm I'm kind of mostly thinking about comic writers here because I don't I mean, I guess journalists have to do it. Um, you know, and I think journalism is creative writing in a lot of ways mm-hmm. uh, um, and, and and maybe weekly TV folks. But I think that's a different exercise, because unless it's one person writing all the episodes, it's generally split among a, a writer's room and, and they write sort of they break ideas but then each person kind of works on one or two episodes per season so that's different so i i don't know what other than other than comics really and maybe journalism requires this level of, of super fast super high level super good writing but um it's exhilarating you know it's very fun <laughs> it's, it's it's just you know you got to be on your game all the time can't yeah. waste time so
3: you mentioned that you're working on a second novel. I guess the first, the experience of writing the first and having that that marathon versus the ten k of a comic. I, I guess that was good enough or or satisfying enough that you're willing to to get back out there and do another
2: one. Yeah, I also have an idea that I think is really really good. I hate to say it, but I I don't want to, um, like you can do things in novels that you can't do in. In comics or movies or you know like it's it's a it's a medium in and of itself and mm-hmm. just like you have a sense early on of whether or not a story is going to work you can also have a sense early on of whether or not a um you know where where an idea should go and and there's also a kind of an idea of like of you're on a you're on a train that has momentum and you know it's it's probably never going to be easier to get a good reception to a to a second novel than Pretty. I mean, there's. You could argue this, but like different than than close to when your first novel comes out and people like it and it's doing well and all that stuff. And and I'm sort of talking about that on a on like a on a business level almost, like mm-hmm. taking it to the publisher and so on. But but also, you know, I'm I have I have a my my novel writing engine exists and is and is strong and is kind of fully fueled right now. So so why not? If I have the headspace and the idea and the time and I enjoy doing it, which I do, then you know why not write a novel?
3: Yeah. Um. Do you listen to music when you write? I mean, you, we, we keep talking about how much of a music guy you are. Do, is is that part of your your thing, or is yeah. it too, too distracting?
2: No, I'm I'm a big music guy. Uh, I have tons and tons and tons of stuff that I listen to. I love I love uh, noise reducing headphones. Um, <laughs> just sort of you get into that zone where there's nothing between you and the story. Yeah. And, and you know, I'll listen to stuff that I I've listened to a lot. So, like, say I don't know what's a good example. So, like, I might put on. Uh, a jazz record that i've listened to a trillion times so i don't need to pay attention to it necessarily but it it acts as a buffer between me and the rest of the world so that the only uh, again it really does get back to not letting anything be between me and the function of my mind and and how it relates to sort of what i'm what i'm putting into the keys do you have
1: different playlists depending on what you're writing or who you're writing
2: uh i don't really do playlists that way it's more like well what's something i i haven't listened to in a while so that it won't feel kind of super boring um but so i mean yes and no like i used to listen to the um i go through phases right so there was a phase when i was listening to the man of steel soundtrack uh, forever uh the 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 orchestral score for that movie which Uh was oh my gosh i can't believe i'm spacing it isn't that Hans Zimmer? It is Hans Zimmer, yeah, very good. Yeah. So, yeah, and it, it has these big, like, very kind of peaceful and relaxed sections that build to these big, um, sort of epic climaxes within the, within the score. And so that's kind of great for writing You you feel yourself being pulled along with it. Your mind is excited, and then it it relaxes a little bit as you as you move forward. So so I listened to that for a long time. Uh, weird stuff like, do you remember in um, Matrix Reloaded, uh, the second the second film in that series? Uh, no, there I don't. A, remember. Was there a second film in that series? <laughs> well, there, was, there was, and there was a huge rave, a huge rave. Oh in yeah, I remember. Yes. And there was a there was a techno song, uh, like electronica, that played in the in the background of that rave, and somebody took that and looped the four minutes of it that that was on the score uh-huh. into an hour and a half, into ninety minutes. So it's just that over and over and over and over and over again. But it's it's looped in a way that doesn't make it feel. Like it doesn't stop and start. It just like feels like one 90 minute piece of music with the same beat, the same sort of throbbing thing. And it's like, you know, drifting, drifting on a, you know, on a, on a, on a raft at sea. You're just sort of letting that carry you along. So I for a long time, for like a year, that was all I listened to for music was that was the rave scene background. <laughs> <laughs> that's all um, I have to go find that now and listen to it. Yeah, it's on YouTube. It just was a YouTube thing. You just press right. play, and then it goes, and you're you're good to go. So I haven't I haven't done that in a while, that particular one. But and then sometimes it's records I like, some like stuff that I found recently that I've been enjoying, or um, it's yeah. it's really all over the place. But, yeah. but it's a big part of it.
3: You've been fortunate um, to write your own characters, to do creative owned create owned own books, uh, write big superheroes, write star Wars. Is there anybody that you haven't written yet, but you really want to,
2: uh, yeah, I mean, I have not written very much Luke Skywalker, uh, which is something I'd love to do. I've written one panel with him in it. Uh, that would be a character I'd be very interested in looking at more because he's for as much as, is as, as much as his story looms large over the star Wars galaxy, he, he's not, in it that much and all the ancillary media and all these different things there's not a lot of luke skywalker which is kind of crazy um so he i'd love to do war, something with him um i i think i could do a good captain america run at some point um spider-man's intriguing to me uh i would i would write batman i think anybody would write batman if they had the chance i'm, I'm no exception um and then it's then it's weirder stuff it's like you know i would write uh i would write alien stories you know like like the i like that fictional universe i love the wheel of time which is a a a huge doorstopper fantasy series yeah robert jordan um that i don't think has really ever been turned into other mediums as good as it could be uh you know there's 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 plenty but uh for now i'm i'm more than happy with what i have (laughs) (laughs) no room
3: to complain um last question we'll let you go what color is your lightsaber
2: uh my my lightsaber is red uh (laughs) Uh, the, the character I relate to the most in Star Wars, not relate to, in, enjoy writing and enjoy thinking about the most is Palpatine, uh, which is, I know, kind of sketchy, but I'm an attorney or was an attorney, so. <laughs> it's, bit, it's appropriate, I guess. Well,
1: that's see and that's probably one of the reasons that your Vader arc with the Inquisitors is so good.
2: <laughs> that, the Vader stuff is really fun, too. That's, I was working on a, a huge Vader thing yesterday morning. That was, that's what I was doing, so. Um there's a there's a big cool story coming up in Vader. Um like the next big one after we get through this one we're in now on uh, set on Moncala and uh I hope you'll like it when you get there.
1: I'm doing a dance again. <laughs> Fantastic.
2: <laughs> Charles,
3: thank you so much for taking the time to talk. It's just been an honor. It's been awesome. Thank
2: you so much. Thanks so much. Uh I, I look forward to uh to seeing it up and hope everybody enjoys your your one comes up next week.
0: Alright, guys, another fantastic interview. Fantastic time.
3: Thank you, thank you, thank you.
0: You guys are great. The dream team. <laughs> you better watch out, Justin.
3: She might just permanently take your spot.
0: You know what? If she learns to edit, I'm out of here.
1: You know? <laughs> yeah, that's never that gonna happen. You're good. <laughs> It's
0: not gonna take much. Oh, I'm, I'm so-
1: just kidding. All the cosplay stuff. I'm still learning to coexist with spray plastic. Like I don't have time to learn anything else. Right
3: <laughs> You're actually making something you can hold in your hand. You don't. You don't have time to go into the computer and edit sound clips. Blame Will. <laughs> Blame Will. Bl- Will. Will. Will is a force to be reckoned with when it comes to cosplay. He is. Uh, he is nothing but encouragement. Is what he
0: is.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very dangerous for a banking
0: account. <laughs> I bet. I can't even imagine. Like, I thought having camera gear was expensive, but I, I guarantee you that. Oh yeah. You know, getting into the little details and needing to finish off a you know a certain piece. Yeah, like, I
3: mean it. And he doesn't do, not to say that making costumes is easy but that's sewing and that's a lot of equipment that people might already have you know fabric and a sewing machine and that kind of thing he makes props and equipment you know so he's doing like 3d printing and painting and resin Mm -hmm. molding and crap that like you think is only done in huge warehouses you know
1: (laughs) and there's a huge learning curve on that stuff as i am discovering very quickly as i I I grew it it.
3: (laughs) i believe it
0: Wow, we do. We'll have to have an entire episode just on that. We should. We (laughs) should
3: have an episode on cosplay. That would be really interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. We should because
3: I don't. My, I mean, I am a fan of of looking at cosplay and like appreciating the work that went into it and being and admiring that. But I don't really have a firm understanding of like just how much work goes into it.
0: No, and I and I guarantee you, a lot of people wouldn't wouldn't either, yeah. <laughs> like most people. So yeah, you guys let us know. Would you like to hear that? I'm gonna. It doesn't. I mean, we're gonna do it anyway. But let us <laughs> know. If <you'd> like to.
1: <laughs> well, by way of example, that that sword. Uh, so I'm working on will printed for me a kit. Um, it's Lotor's sword, mm-hmm. which I'm not actually making as lotor sword. I'm making it as a formal sword for Hiro, which is a whole different story. Um, but, so I've assembled it, I've spray-plasticed it, and I have, I finished the color spray-painting today, and that's been a process of about two weeks.
0: Wow. Wow.
1: <laughs> and it's fallen apart a couple so times. So
0: if, if you're going to an event, like, say you're going to a Comic-Con, you want to have something done, how long in the future, like, do you have to start an before event, like the event? how far in
3: advance?
1: Well... I started my stuff for San Diego, which is at the end of July, as soon as I got back from Seattle, which was at the beginning of March. Wow. And I may be cutting it close on a couple of things, depending.
0: Wow, that's incredible. (laughs) Well, stay tuned for that episode. (laughs) That'll be good. All right, guys. Thank you so much for coming back every single week. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at the GBB podcast as well. If you like this episode or you listen to us and you like any of our episodes, please leave us a review on iTunes. That would be wonderful. And as always, I'm Justin at 140 Justin C.
3: And I am Jamie at the
1: Roarbots. And I'm Sherry at S.W. Sunheimer.
0: And we'll see you next time right here in the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. Take care. This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad.